What does a telephone do? This is a telephone from my childhood. It has a base, and then it has a cord that attaches to the wall, and then there is a handset, and here are the buttons. So you push these. Totally cool. They're touch-tone, state-of-the-art, and uh, way better than the rotary dials. Now, now you're thinking, okay, there's a wire attached to the phone. There's another cable here, a cord attached to the, to, the, to the base. I mean, you think, man, not very mobile, is it? That's where you are wrong, folks. Watch this, okay? The key to this cord is that it stretches. So I can call all the way out here, folks. This is like mobile phone in the early 80s, folks. This is so awesome, okay? Massive privacy right here, folks. My parents cannot overhear me when I talk. Very, very cool. Okay, so this is a telephone from the 80s. It does one thing. It makes phone calls. One purpose makes phone calls, allow you to talk to somebody who is not in the room with you. Well, that all changed. In that amazing moment, 2007 Macworld, when Steve Jobs introduced the iPhone. And now, okay, if you haven't seen this, you got to go watch it. Go to YouTube, watch that clip. I still get chills from it, okay? It's an awesome, awesome clip, okay? So this is my iPhone. And I've got to tell you, first thing, it's true. You can make phone calls with this. You absolutely can. You absolutely can. However, you know, I go through my days and I have so many different apps on this thing. I, I play Wordle on this. I watch YouTube, right? I, you know, I, get, I can check the news. I can check the weather. You know, I do all kinds of stuff on this. And days go by without me ever making a phone call. Now, let's just go hypothetical, okay? Let's say that, that I told you that the only thing I know how to do on this is to make phone calls. That is the only thing that I do. I think you guys would be like, you'd be like okay, Charles, we need to talk. <laughs> I, we, we need to talk. We, we, you're, you're missing out on something really important here. We need, we need to show you something. We need to, we need to stage a technological intervention. Well, today is kind of like an intervention. You see, today, we're going to talk about the cross. We have the cross on stage today. We're going to talk about the cross. And for many Christ followers, the cross does only one thing. The cross takes away your sins so you can be reconciled with God. First of all, that is massive. That is good. That is critical. But there's so much more. You see, the Bible tells us that the cross is actually the climax of the entire story of Scripture. And, and there are so many things going on that the cross is, is the foundation of our status, our being, and it shapes how we are to live our lives. The cross, there's so much more to the cross. And if you think the cross only does one thing, it takes away your sins, well, it'd be like you only making phone calls with us. So today, I want to show you where the other apps are. Today, I want to show you the fullness of what the cross means to our lives. But before I get started, let me introduce myself. My name is Charles. I'm one of the pastors on the teaching team. I want to greet those of you who are here and those of you who are watching in, in, in traditions and gospel fusion, downtown Fitchburg, in front of your computer, or joining us via the podcast. We're so glad you're all here to the Chinese speakers, and to the Spanish speakers, and um, we are in a series called Live this book, and we've been doing this since last September. And, and, and the big idea of the series is that the Bible is a story with these seven major plot points. And for the past 
four weeks now, we've been in this particular plot point, Jesus the King, and now we have reached the climax of the story. I'm not just this section, the climax of the entire story, the cross is the climax of the entire story, and it is so important that I'm going to spend two Sundays talking about the cross, and I am super psyched, (laughs) because we get to dive a little deeper about the cross. I have two Sundays to talk about the cross. I'm talking next Sunday as well, okay? Two Sundays, And, and the reason we can go deeper is because we've actually been in this series about the story of scripture. For those of you who've been with us since last September, you have enough background information to understand the fullness of the cross. Now, some of you are thinking, wait a minute, Charles, I don't remember anything from last September. I don't remember any sermons of the Old Testament. And, and, and some of you are like, well, we just got here like a couple months ago. We missed most of the series. And then those of you who are like brand new here today, don't worry, okay? I will do plenty of recaps to make sure we have enough background information to understand the cross, okay? But I am super psyched. So um, get your smartphone out, turn on your app take, note-taking app, and we're going to get into this, okay? All right, are you guys ready? All right, I get like three voices, yep. <laughs> All right, here's a recap. Uh, generally, we do the seven major plot points. Today, we're going to do something a little different. I'm going to do it in, in three parts, the story of the Bible in three parts. Part one, God creates humans as his partner on a mission to run the world. That's how the story starts. And then the humans rebel. And the humans end up in exile. They're kicked out of the Garden of Eden. They end up in a world that's broken, that is full of violence and sin and darkness and death. And now the whole world is sitting there waiting for God to do something. This is the problem posed by the part one of the story. What is God going to do? Well, part two begins with God saying, okay, here's my solution. I'm going to choose a people. I'm going to choose the people of ancient Israel as my partner on a mission to fix the world. And to, and to, to create this people, God says, okay, I'm going to establish a covenant with them. Okay, now what does that mean? I will talk more about this today, so just hold off on that. And then he's, God saves this people out of oppression in Egypt, and he gives them his law, the law that helps them know how to love God and love people, how to transform them. And then he, he gives them a temple. That symbolizes God's presence with them, God's intimacy with his people. But his people rebel. They break the law, they break the covenant. And so God God casts them out of their land and they end up in Babylon. So the people created to solve the problem have now joined the world in exile as part of the problem. Do you see that? Okay, that's the story of the Old Testament. Let's get to part three. So Jesus shows up, and we learn that he is God, he is man, and he is king, right? And he shows up, and he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to restore the people with a new covenant. Like I said, I'll talk about that today. I will empower them for the mission. I will forgive their sins. I will save them out of the power and control of sin. I will transform this people so they can actually do this work. They can actually love God and love others. And then I'm going to build a new temple a new place where God can be with his people, full of intimacy and closeness. And Jesus says, I'm going to do all this by dying on the cross. Typically, when we talk about the cross, we talk about forgiveness of sins. That's what we talk about. Well, the Bible says the cross does all six. Obvious question. How does the cross do all this? Well, historically, Jesus' death on the cross was an execution. 
The Roman Empire thought Jesus was fomenting rebellion in the Judean countryside, and they grabbed him, and they nailed him to a cross, and executed him. But the New Testament writers tell us that that's, that's not how God sees it. God does not see Jesus' death as an execution. God sees Jesus' death through the lens of Old Testament ritual animal sacrifices. That's right. New Testament writers describe the death of Jesus as ritual animal sacrifices. Yeah. Okay, so we officially entered into weird territory. Okay. And can I just say this? I'm, as a pastor being up here, I'm just saying it anyway. The whole animal sacrifice thing is just gross. It's just, it's icky, right? It's like, ah. I mean, okay, so how many of you have ever, ever participated in animal sacrifice? You don't have to raise your hand. It's okay. Don't raise your hand. Okay. <laughs> I just want to be clear here that we have never done an animal sacrifice at Block Talk Church. It's never happened. Okay, I just want to be upfront about that. But the reality is we're not familiar with animal sacrifices. We don't have any intuitions about animal sacrifices. But remember, the Bible's not written to us, but for us. The Bible is written to people. The New Testament is written for, to people who really are familiar with Old Testament animal sacrifices. They've seen them and they participated in them. It's part of their culture. They totally get it. So when the New Testament writers compare the cross to animal sacrifices, they're like, oh my gosh, what an amazing way to understand the cross. We totally get it, why the cross is the center of our faith and the foundation of who we are and how we are to live. They totally love it. And we're like, huh? So here's the thing we're going to have to do. If we want to dive into how the cross is understood by the Bible, we need to get into the logic of Old Testament animal sacrifices. It's going to be a little gross, guys. The New Testament writers don't just compare the cross to a single animal sacrifice. It actually compares it to four different ones. There is the covenant initiation sacrifice. We're talking about that today. There is the Passover sacrifice. If you remember the Passover story, this is where God takes his people out of Egypt, out of oppression and, and genocide and, and gives them freedom. Well, Jesus is the new Passover sacrifice and he gives his people freedom from sin, leading to them being transformed by God. There is a sin sacrifice, which I think most people are, are familiar with, the idea that on the cross, Jesus brings about forgiveness and our reconciliation with God. And then finally, there's the day of atonement sacrifice where Jesus makes himself the new temple, a new sp space where God and humans can come together. Um, today, we're going to talk about the first one, next week, number two and three, and we're going to have to save number four for another time. Yeah. But before I jump into covenant initiation, I just want you to notice, right? Like, like these sacrifices, they come out of these critical moments in the Old Testament, that you really need to know the Old Testament to understand the cross. And... and, and but here's the challenge that we're facing, that we as, as a church, we want to invite people who are not yet Christ followers to be part of our community. We want to invite people who, who don't know the Bible very well to be part of the community. And when, so, so when somebody who comes along who, said, who don't know the Bible very well, they ask, well, what's the cross about? The thing we cannot say is, well, there's this thing called the Day of Atonement Sacrifice. Right? Can't do that. Right? What, we, we need, what we say is, hey, Jesus died for your sins so you can be reconciled to God. This is absolutely true. This thing makes phone calls. It's absolutely true. Okay. So what I don't want is for some of us to get the idea that, oh, the typical way we talk about the cross is wrong. It's not wrong. Millions and millions of people have come to know Jesus through the typical way we talk about the cross. And here at Blockout, we're going to continue to talk about the cross that way. 
But every now and then, we're going to get a chance to go deeper. And I encourage all of you, you know, if you have the chance to study more about this, to go a little deeper, understand the story of the Bible so we can grasp the full breadth and depth of the meanings of the cross and understand the comprehensive gospel that Jesus brings. All right, let's get started with covenant initiation. What is covenant initiation sacrifice? Um, on the night before Jesus died, he did something weird. It was dinner. It was actually a Passover celebration meal. And um, while they were eating, Jesus took bread. And, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, hey, take it. This is my body. And then he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drink from it. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many, he said to them, truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink anew in the kingdom of God. What is Jesus doing? I mean, you guys know this passage. This is a communion passage. This is a Lord's Supper passage. But what exactly is Jesus doing? Well, the key to understanding that is this word right here, covenant. What is a covenant? Well, here's the definition. In the ancient world, a covenant in its normal sense is an elected as opposed to natural relationship of obligation under oath. Now, that is a tight, concise definition. Let me unpack it. First thing, a covenant is a relationship. It's not a contract. People get this thing confused. A contract is a quid pro quo. I give you A, you give me B. And after that, we're done. We say goodbye. We never have to see each other again. A covenant is a committed relationship of love and affection and friendship and loyalty that is lifelong. That's what a covenant is. It's a relationship. Second, it's elected as opposed to natural. What he means by this is, is a covenant something you choose. Okay, so you cannot have a covenant relationship with your brothers or sisters or your parents. Why? Because you have a natural relationship with them. You are already part of a family that demands loyalty and love and affection. In the ancient world, that is, right? You, you have that. So you, you choose to enter into covenant with people who are outside of your family, outside of your clan. It's something you choose to, you do it consciously. So let's say you have a best friend. Are you in a covenant relationship? Well, let's look at number three. A covenant is a relationship of ob obligation. Okay? So let's say you and your friend, your good friends and your best friends, you're like, hey, let's start a business venture together. Let's put our money behind this business and let's divide up the responsibility. You do this, I do that. Well, you putting energy and work to make this business venture go well and prosper, that is part of the obligation of this relationship. You're, you're doing that to show that you actually want to stay in this partnership with your best friend. So there are explicit obligations in a covenant. So... A covenant is a committed relationship with people that you choose to join and explicit obligations. So far, no big deal. So here's number four. A covenant starts with an initiation ritual that invokes the gods via an oath. Let me see if I can explain this to you. So let's say you, uh, you, know, you got a job in Madison, you move from elsewhere, you come here, you buy yourself, you know, you're like, okay, I'm living here in Madison now. Um, and you meet some other Christ followers, 
at church, you're like, hey, let's, let's all live together. Let's, let's create a, let's go to an apartment. Let's, let's create an intentional Christian community where we're committed to loving each other and caring for each other. It'd be awesome, right? So you guys find an apartment. You all go there. You move in your beds, your desks, your books, all the stuff. You're all set up. And then you gather in the common area. And now let's talk. Let's talk about our expectations, right? So, hey, every Sunday night is house dinner night. We're going to cook meals and eat together. And then we have regular time for prayer and encouraging each other and sharing what's going on with our lives. That sounds great. Oh, what about the chores? Who's doing toilet? Who, who's, who's mowing the lawn? If you have a lawn, who's vacuuming the carpet, right? Who, I mean, how long can dishes stay in the sink? If the food's not labeled in the fridge, can you anybody eat it? All kinds of really, really important questions when you live together, right? So you work all of that stuff out. All the obligations are laid out. Well, you still don't have a covenant. So at this point, somebody brings out a chicken, you cut off its head, and you all drink the blood of the chicken, and you all swear to God that if I don't do my chores on time, may God kill me like this chicken. Now you have a covenant. <laughs> Are you getting it? Covenant is serious. It's deadly serious. Now, now today, the, the closest thing we have in our culture is a marriage a marriage is a lifelong committed relationship of love and affection and loyalty and friendship with explicit obligations, right? And it actually begins with an initiation ceremony. It's called a wedding. And, and Christian weddings, people actually incorporate that, you know, part of their vows. They ask God for help. So help me God, right? We ask God to bless the wedding for God's empowerment. But here's the thing. I've been to some weddings I have never heard a wedding vow that invokes the curses of God for covenant failure. Never heard it. I mean, I've never heard a wedding vow that says, if I don't take out the trash on Wednesday night, may God slice me to pieces like this wedding cake when I slice up, slice up. <laughs> never happened. Never heard a vow like that. Covenant is serious business. Covenant invokes the curses of God for covenant failure. Huh? That's covenant in the ancient world. I want to tell you how big a deal covenant is, is in the Bible. It is a huge concept in the Bible. I want to show you how huge it is. So the word covenant in English translates the Greek word diatheke. Diatheke gets translated into Latin as testamental, which comes into English as testament, as in Old Testament and New Testament. That is to say, Old Testament is really just Old Covenant. New Testament is New Covenant. Your Bible, our Bible, the Bible of the entire church is divided into two sections. Section one is called Old Covenant. The section two is called New Covenant. Are you getting a sense of how big a deal this word is? Are you getting a sense of how big this concept is? That you absolutely have to grasp it if you want to follow Jesus. Okay. Covenant shows up in the story in these most critical moments. So beginning of the God story with his people. God calls Abraham. He says, hey, I'm going to call you and use your kingdom to bless the world, fix the world. Genesis 15 and 17, God establishes a covenant with Abraham. Pastor Matt talked about this last fall. And also actually recently on his talk with, about Jesus as God, he talked about this covenant that God makes with Abraham. And he describes Genesis 15, which is a covenant initiation ceremony. And this is how, what it looks like. So God tells Abraham to take animals, slice them. I think lengthwise, I think and put them 
in pieces and then line them up. You see, what you're doing is you're creating this bloody lane, okay? And what happens is when you walk through this lane, what you're doing is you're invoking the curses of God. Your, your fate is now tied to the animal, kind of like drinking the blood of the chicken. Your fate is now tied to, the, to, to these animals. If you fail, if you break covenant, may God kill you like this animal. That's what you're saying when you walk across. So that happened in Genesis 15. God and Abraham forms this covenant. Actually, only God walked across. Abraham didn't. But what we learn is that right at the beginning of the story of God's people, we have a covenant. In fact, our God is a covenant-making God. Our God likes to create long-term committed relationships with people. And so he does. He does it with Abraham. He does it with his children. He develops relationships of friendship, loyalty, connection. And then 400 years later, as God's people are ready to form a nation, God says, okay, it's time to confirm that covenant with a new covenant initiation ritual. And that shows up in Exodus chapter 19 through 24. The entire Exodus 19 to 24 is a covenant initiation ceremony. And in chapter 19, we learn about the purpose of this covenant. And so they have just left Egypt. God got them out of Egypt. And God says to the people, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be by treasured possession. Do you see this right here? Do you see this? The covenant is about the relationship, right? You, my covenant people, will be my treasured possession. We're going to have this intimate, tight, friendship, loyalty relationship. Okay? And here's the choice. You get to choose. You, by the way, you're already saved. You're saved out of Egypt. You're already saved. Now you have a choice. Do you want to enter into this covenant or not? This covenant is not just for the relationship. It's also for the mission. For God, for, for, to help God fix what's wrong with the world. So here's the mission. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. What's a holy nation? Well, holy nation simply means a nation that is set apart for a particular purpose. And what is that purpose? To be a kingdom of priests. A priest in the ancient world is someone who teaches people about God and reconciles them to God. What God wants is for this covenant people as a whole, every single person in the society know God and have a relationship with God. And by the way, they organize their community. By the way they live, they serve as priests to the rest of the world. Everybody looks at them going, whoa, look at those people. They're so awesome. It's full of justice and brightness and full of life flourishing. I want to be part of that. What God are they worshiping? I want to worship the God they're worshiping. That's the mission. That's the mission. Now, what about the obligations of this covenant? Well, that's actually in Exodus chapter 20. That's actually the Ten Commandments. We had a sermon on that, right? And then also chapter 21, 22, 23, they're called the Book of the Covenant. Those are the obligations. Those are the things that the people are to do to maintain their relationship with God. And also, doing those things help them accomplish the mission. And then when we get to chapter 24, we actually get to covenant initiation ceremony. Here it is. This is Moses. Moses took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. 
right, here's the Ten Commandments, here's 21 to 22, 23. He reads it out loud to them. And they responded, we will do everything Yahweh has said we will obey. When you see the word Lord in all caps, that marks God's personal name, Yahweh. But there it is, right? There's the promise. We will enter into this covenant. And so what does Moses do? Moses says, well, it's time to invoke the curse of God, the curse of the covenant. And here it is. Moses then took the blood from the bulls that they sacrificed earlier, sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that Yahweh has made with you in accordance with all these words. Now, you got to imagine this. You got to enter into this to get what's going on, okay? You're standing there, right? Here's Moses. And what is he doing? He's going like this. And he's just putting blood all over you. You got blood in your hair, blood in your face, blood in your skin, blood in your clothes. You're dripping blood. You look around. Everybody around you, they're just dripping blood. It's a bloody mess. What does it all mean? Well, we know what it means. It means that I am now tied to these bulls through the covenant. My fate, my life is tied to these bulls through this blood. And if I fail to keep covenant, God will kill me like these bulls. Covenant is serious business, deadly serious. Well, Israel breaks covenant. Israel disobeyed the law. They break covenant with God and God cast them out to Babylon, and they sit there and wait, and the prophets tell them, hey, be patient. God is going to do something. There is going to be a new covenant. Something new is coming. And then on the night before he died, Jesus shows up, and he says to his disciples, look at this bread. Take it. This is my body. Taste the cup. Drink this. This is my blood of the covenant. Do you see it? Lord's Supper, communion, is a covenant initiation ceremony for the new covenant. So what is this new covenant about? Well, like all covenants, it's about a relationship. <laughs> Right? It's, an, it's, a, it's a relationship with love and affection and friendship and loyalty between Jesus and his covenant people. There's a choice. Yeah. Anybody who places their faith in Jesus Christ, who pledge allegiance to him as king, is part of the covenant. The old, the old covenant, that was, that was about children of Abraham. Well, with the new covenant, anybody can come in. Anybody can join. What about the mission? With the same mission. God is out to fix this world, destroyed by sin and violence and death and hatred. And, 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 and he says, I want a partner. I want a people who can show the world what I'm about. Okay? So the new covenant people, same job as the old covenant. Show God's character to the world. What about the obligations? Well, Jesus says the obligations of the covenant is to love God and love your neighbors. Uh, except... Um, as you heard from last week, Pastor Lynn talked about Jesus redefines neighbors. You guys remember that, right? He, redefine, he redefines neighbors. Neighbor isn't somebody who's close to you. Neighbor is somebody who's on the other side of a boundary. In the us versus them, the neighbor is them. Love them. Love God and love them, the neighbors on the other side of the boundary. That's how we live out 
our obligations to the new covenant to accomplish God's mission. Now, I think some of you have noticed already that something's missing from all of this. Like, where's the dead chicken? <laughs> right? Bread, wine. I mean, I mean, when we do communion, I mean, we drink, you know, wine and juice. We don't actually drink any blood. We're very grateful for that, right? Uh, so where's the blood? Where's the blood? Jesus says, this is my blood of the covenant. You see, Jesus does not bleed that night. But the very next day, he is stripped naked. He is whipped within an inch of his life, and they hung him, nailed him to a cross, and he hung them until he died. His death on the cross is the completion of this covenant initiation ritual that started the night before. Do you understand that? Covenant initiation, Lord's Supper, and the next day, the cross combined together to begin this new covenant, which means Jesus is actually the covenant initiation sacrifice, the animal that's killed to seal this covenant. Now, this is a big deal. Why? Or two things. Number one, what happens when you join a covenant? Your life is tied to the animal that's killed. Remember that? It's, it's joined. Your fate is joined with the animal that's killed. But in the new covenant, no animal's killed. So what happens to people who are part of the new covenant? We are joined with Jesus. We're joined with Jesus. Our lives are joined with Jesus. Our fate is joined with Jesus. We have the life of Jesus in, in us. We have the power of his resurrection in us. And Jesus, he's, he's not one for, you know, beating around the bush. He just, he makes the symbolism so darn clear. You really can't miss it. He says, hey, here's my body, eat it. Here's my blood, drink it. Okay, what does that mean? Simple, Jesus is in you. We have Jesus in us. We have the power in us to help us keep covenant. That's the first thing that we need to know about this covenant. Number two, when we fail to keep covenant, and we have and we will, our failure triggers the curse of the covenant. But here's the thing, because we are joined with Jesus, the curse falls on him. In whatever way we fall short of loving God and loving our neighbors who are across the boundary, in whatever way we fall short, Jesus has borne our failure on the cross. He has borne the curses and our sins upon him on the cross. This is as one-sided as a covenant as it gets, guys. Jesus gets all the curses. We get all, we get all the blessings. When Jesus says, this is my blood of the covenant, what he's saying is, not only will I empower you for this mission when you fail, I'll take all the curses. I got this. I got this. Um, entirely appropriately, we're taking communion today. And so we're going to move into a time of communion right now. And, and um, all sides, all venues. And for those of you um, 
who are new here, I, I want to explain how we do communion around here. Um, we welcome anyone who has placed their faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Anyone who has placed their faith in the Lord and Jesus, you can take communion with us. Absolutely, we welcome you. We welcome that. But if you have not yet made a decision to follow Jesus, well, please don't feel any pressure to join in because by not joining in, you are showing us how much you respect what is a very sacred ritual for us. But I know if some of you, you're like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm ready, actually. I think I'm ready. I've heard enough. I want to follow Jesus. Well, you know what? I can think of no better way to start your life with Jesus than with taking communion. So um, what I want you to do right now is um, kind of open this up. It's a little weird today. The, uh, the, the, the wafer is on the bottom. So take that out and maybe just prop this open a little bit and then hold this, okay? We're gonna, eat, we're gonna do this together. We're gonna take all this together. So, but if you don't have one and you need one, please raise your hand and the usher will get it for you, okay? Raise your hand and the usher will get one to you. Okay. We learned two things today. First thing. If you are a Christ follower, you are in a covenant relationship with God. Following Jesus is not like adopting some new philosophy or or joining a club. No, you are in a committed relationship with God, one of love and intimacy and loyalty and friendship. And this is for the rest of your life and goes beyond that into eternity. A covenant relationship is more intense than a marriage. In fact, Jesus in the New Testament uses marriage as a symbol for Jesus' relationship with his covenant people. A covenant is serious, serious business. The second thing we learned is that Lord's Supper, communion, the very first one that Jesus did it, that was a covenant initiation ceremony. Combined with his death on the cross the very next day, that creates the new covenant people. It relaunches the new covenant people. And for then 2,000 years, the church has been repeating this ritual. Obviously, when we do that, it's not covenant initiation, it's covenant renewal. Here at Blackhawk Church, we do communion about once a month. And, uh, and what we're doing is we're renewing our covenant with God. It's like people who, do, who renew their marriage vows. That's what communion is. So today we're gonna to do communion a little differently, given all that we learned. Today we're gonna to do communion as a com- covenant renewal ceremony. And you can find a, a version of this in, ex- in Deuteronomy chapter 27 and 28. Okay? And what's gonna happen is I'm gonna read these questions to you in a bit, okay? And, and I'm gonna ask you to answer them. This is straight out of Deuteronomy. This, 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 kind of for, this kind of format is out of Deuteronomy 27, 28. I'm gonna ask you to answer this. So I want you to look at this and think about this right now, and I'm gonna give you a little time. But I do wanna say that what's underlying these questions is the question of commitment. Covenant is serious business. How committed are you to your relationship with God? Do you invest time in this relationship? Do you invest creative energy in this relationship? Do you invest your financial resource in this relationship? How committed are you to being God's covenant partner on his mission to restore the world? So I wanna give you a little bit of time to talk to God and pray.
All right. Let's renew our covenant with God. Now, I'm going to read these three questions. And those of you who are Christ followers or those of you who have just made a decision to follow Jesus today, I want you to answer these. Now, in, the, in Deuteronomy 27, 28, they actually put God's people on mountaintops and they scream, they yell out their amens. They, they echo back and forth across the valley. Okay? We don't have a valley here, but think of this as the valley. Okay? I want you to answer it not only out loud, I want you to answer it loudly, proudly. Yell it if you can. Okay? Because this is our chance to renew our covenant relationship with God. Covenant is serious business. Are we serious? Do you understand? Okay, let me try that again. Let me just practice, okay? Do you understand? Yes! Okay, let's do it. Do you pledge allegiance to Jesus, not merely as your Savior, but as your King? Yes! Do you promise to pursue and maintain a relationship of love, loyalty, and friendship with God? Yes! Do you promise to pursue growth and love for God and for others for the sake of God's mission to the world? Yes! Yes! In making these promises, we know that we have failed and we will fail. So grab this cracker, wafer, whatever you have at home, holding it out in front of you. Why don't you look at it? This cracker, this bread, this wafer symbolizes the body of Jesus. Jesus is the covenant initiation sacrifice. And because of him, our failures, the curses that do us for failing covenant, he has borne on the cross for us. So let's take this to remember what he has done for us on the cross. Hold out your cup in front of you. Look at it. The juice inside the cup symbolizes the blood of Jesus. Jesus is the covenant initiation sacrifice, which means our lives, our faith are joined with his. We have the power of his life, the power of his resurrection in us. And by drinking this, we are reminded that he is in us and we are in him. Let's drink this together to renew our covenant with him. And all God's people said,